Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Good morning. You know, it says celebrating 20 years. Well, I am celebrating 20 years because the only reason I'm here is because you folks out there, I'm surprised they let me do it this long, but I just want you to know that the fans that follow us over the 20 years, the reaction we get, the way you patronize our sponsors, and we try to be careful about who sponsors us, is really what's kept us on the air for 20 years. So hopefully you've followed us with this uh, temporary time change, 10 to 12, and then we'll... uh, Think about Broncos training camp. Around that time, we'll move back to our 9 o'clock slot and hopefully stay there for a long, long time again. But we do appreciate it, and hopefully we've uh, gained some new people and maybe didn't know we were around, so that's all good. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104, uh, just Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. And uh, there's a couple reasons. One is... Uh, we're going to have some contests coming up. The answers are going to be on Facebook. In fact, we got a trivia contest that Karen will probably post something in the next few days. You never know. And the answer will be somebody will win like a $99 gift card for Honey Smoked Salmon. But more important than that, you're going to find out we post when my Denver Post article comes out. And we take articles from the past that are timely, put them there. We... We post when we're going to have great guests on, like our upcoming guest, the Director of Parks and Wildlife, Bob Broshide. In fact, let's go to the phones. And if you were watching on Facebook, you'd know that this morning we are joined by the Director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife, Bob Broshide. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Terry, and happy 20th anniversary. Well, it's you know, it, it's, uh, it's kind of scary that they haven't figured me out yet. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're doing a great job, and, and uh, I think the people of Colorado and all over really appreciate your show. So thank you for, for what you've done for the last 20 years, and hopefully you get 20 more. Well, you know, I don't know if I want 20 more, but I want a few more. <laughs> but, you know, um, <laughs> but, you know, I think one of the things in our my whole time in the outdoor industry as a writer— uh, doing television for over 20 seasons and the radio has been that Karen and I's mantra, Bob, has always been it's not about us. It's about the outdoors and getting people out there. And I think that's what's kept us around for so long because people love the outdoors. And Colorado is a great example of an outdoor community. I mean, I used to say I grew up in northern Minnesota, but Karen reminds me I never grew up. I just got older there. But I was fortunate to live in Minnesota and then move to Colorado over 30 years ago. And that to live in two states, that the outdoor is such a part of the culture, but that demands management and it demands resources and access to maintain that heritage. And you can bring us up to speed, but Parks and Wildlife has had some challenges over the last few years, haven't they? We have, Terry, and, and I couldn't echo your comments any better. The, the, the growth that's going on in the state um, it, it creates challenges for for fish and wildlife management and outdoor recreation management. It's it's more people um, uh, going out onto lands and, and participating, uh, recreating out on lands um, that aren't getting any bigger. Like I said, the, the state is not getting any bigger as far as landmass, and uh, we're we're seeing some challenges, and we're trying to address those, but. 
I think, uh, you know, when it comes to fish and wildlife management and, and conservation and securing recreation um, uh, opportunities for the public and for our non-residents as well, it, it just gets a lot more challenging uh, from land to water uh, management, all of those types of things. So, uh, you know, I think we're not here. We cannot solve this thing without uh, solve these issues without having our public fully engaged in what is going on. And uh, a lot of Western states, I talk to a lot of Western directors and, and they're in the same boat, um, increasing urbanization. Uh, travel is a down the highways is getting clogged. Um, the places that you used to be able to hunt or fish or mountain bike or whatever it may be are no longer there anymore. Um, it's, it's, it's just, it's a going to be, can continue to be a great challenge. No, I agree with you completely. And yet people don't want to give up those activities. They, they actually get angry when we lose access, when we lose land, but there's always going to be a trade-off between progress. We have to take care of people. We need jobs. We need, you know, we need places to live and Colorado is a beautiful place. We can't close the doors, uh, although some people would like to do that, but we do have to deal with the reality that there is still outdoor public. And, you know, if people, haven't been paying attention over the last couple of years. Um, I think the last license fee increase for fishing particularly was like 2005. And and then we went through, um, we've had these uh, uh, invasive species, ANS inspections to get boats on water. And that was being funded by some taxes that came from oil and gas. And we kind of lost that funding. So you've really had increased challenges. The last couple of years, you've been going to the legislature for help. Maybe you can give us a little background what's gone on those last couple of years and what the status of things is now, Bob. Sure, Terry. I'd, I'd love to. And, and, and obviously, this is a whole different conversation this year than it was last year, as you and your fans well know. Um, yeah, so we, we've, uh, you know, dealing with the, the aquatic nuisance species, we, we essentially were, were looking at the loss of a significant funding of that program. Uh, so for the last well over three years, uh, this is, you know, oil and gas revenues have been up and down, and that does affect what we do with those programs. And one of those was our aquatic nuisance species and, and our management program. And uh, we saw this coming as, as well as the legislature. Um, we did see that, that this funding was not secure, is very volatile, uh, as oil and gas uh, revenues usually are. And so we've been working last year as well as this year to try to secure long-term funding for this program. So this wouldn't have to be an every year uh, we were trying to find uh, money in the state budget to fund this program. And uh, so last year is, is identical this year, except for we ran separate bills. Um, this one uh, this year was, was House Bill 18, uh, 1008. Uh, this was actually... But with our help and support, as well as a lot of the water providers, uh, sportsmen organizations, et cetera, that, that worked with the legislature to run this bill here. Um, it's called the Muscle-Free Colorado Act. And um, what this basically does, and you can go on our website and you can definitely see a lot more of the, the details of this, but essentially Colorado resident boats uh, need to buy and purchase a $25 sticker as a, just for ANS. Non-residents are going to pay $50. Um, it raises fines for unlawful boat launches, which is one of our biggest threats right now. Um, and then for those, it also raises the fines for knowingly knowingly importing ANS into the state. 
And it allows us to do a lot more enforcement uh, versus uh, our current program, which is more on the lines of prevention uh, and education. So this bill has worked its way through both the Senate and the House and is now uh, sitting on the governor's desk awaiting his signature to put this into law. Um, None of these changes are going to occur until uh, 2019. So it gives us uh, from when the governor or if the governor signs the bill, I think he will. Uh, till uh, the next boating season, we've got a lot of education to do out there. So, so really, this is a huge victory for for our our uh, boaters and fishermen out there because they're, as you know, and we talked about in, on your previous shows, is that without this program, water providers, these are the private water companies, were going to start shutting down their reservoirs and shutting down access to boaters because of the threat that this uh, aquatic, uh, basically the quagga mussel, uh, brings to their operation. Well, I, so I think, this- yeah, I want to touch on that a little bit, too, because people go, well, you know, obviously, first and foremost, we want to be good stewards of our resources. So we want to protect from this no matter what. But it's not Parks and Wildlife saying, hey, you know, um, we're, we don't want to take a chance. We're going to do this. Obviously, that's true. But the water providers, um, their first goal is to provide water and what these muscles can do to infrastructure. And I think when funding started going away for the initial inspection program we had, I think a little bit of panic set in because we saw water providers that really weren't as key on enforcement and as inspections all of a sudden become more aware. And I think it became really a very high priority, high awareness among water providers. And they were willing to look at other alternatives besides allowing recreation. Lone Tree is going to be a great example of that because then you don't really need to worry about it as much. You can self-police it. So we needed the money now. The one qu- And we were spending, I think, a little over $5 million on that, Bob. And people, if people remember last year, there were like Bar Lake had reduced days and hours. There were some other reservoirs that didn't get open. There were some reservoirs, even though we were able to fund most of the, pro- the program last year, there was more demand at more reservoirs. Like I understand Granby's going to be under inspections this year, which hasn't been in the past necessarily. So we're going to see more demand for inspection from the water providers. How is this bill as far as the amount of revenue, and do we have alternate sources to look to? Yeah, Terry, that's a great question. Um, yeah, this this uh, this twenty five and fifty dollar registration, um, we we had to kind of we had to balance between uh, not really sticking it to our voters, but generating enough that we can uh, maintain this program. And you're absolutely right. This as the threat continues, as our surrounding states uh, become uh, more infested with mussels in the, in the interstate movement of, of vessels uh, to our waterways, it's only going to increase. We, we project that just based on the, regist- the, the number of registered boaters that are in Colorado now, that this will probably get us about halfway, maybe a little more than that $5 million. Um, so we're also working with the legislature um, in, the, in the current budget right now is how can the state then make up the difference? Um, and as well as uh, this is such an important program that how can Parks and Wildlife through other funding sources uh, continue to stay up on this program? Because as you said right in the beginning, uh, Without these programs, we're not going to see access, and without access, we're not going to see fishermen uh, out there on the lake or boaters and all those other things. So that's how important 
this program and this inspection program is, is it allows access. And, and then certainly we've seen cases in the recent past of, of where we've lost access and there is no replacement that's coming behind it. So uh, we're hoping that we can continue to maintain this program at, at the level and also continue to look down the road in the future uh, how we can be a lot more efficient, um, sharing information across states, but also uh, we, we've, you know, the, the tried and true method of where Colorado is, is is catching them before they put the boats in the water, uh, at least the ones that are infested. I'm gonna, I want to move on to the other funding issues, but before I do, I just want a quick comment. Do you feel fairly confident that we're going to be able to maintain or restore most of the inspections so we'll have pretty good access over the next year or two? We do, Terry, and and this year has been unusual, as you know how how well relatively mild the winter was. Uh, we usually didn't see reservoirs open until sometime in early May. Well, with the warm weather, we're seeing a reservoirs open early, and what that means is more staff and more more resources need to be committed earlier in the season. Um, so that's something we're we're wrestling with now. Um, but I, I think if we can continue to engage the public, have and the legislature and the water providers, I think I think we can continue to maintain this program uh, and the success that it's had so far. Uh, but it's going to take all of us. Now, Bob, before we run out of time, we we don't we only have a few minutes left. But I, I kind of planned on taking uh, this longer. We actually have a couple of your partners from the um, uh, na- from National Forest Forest Service going to join us for the uh, true par- for what would normally be the park segment later, and we're going to talk about some of their recreation. And uh, you know, those people are so important. You know, we got you guys in parks, and you got Parks and Wildlife, and Forest Service, and Fish and Game, and BLM, and Colorado. They're all important managers of what we do, and you guys work together. We're going to touch on that a little bit. But before we get get to that there's still a funding issue with license fees and a lot of infrastructure and a lot of work parks and wildlife has to do can you take maybe two or three minutes and just bring us up at the speed on where that funding is at you bet um terry this is the other big piece of the conservation funding model um which has been hunting and fishing licenses as, as you all know um, this drives essentially the most part of our agency and allows us to do those great things. But uh, we did run a, a, another bill this year. We separated uh, these bills out. This one is separate. It's, it's Senate Bill uh, 143. This is our Future Generations Act um, for hunting, fishing, and parks. Um, this one, I'll just give you the quick status. Uh, this has made it through the Senate and has voted onto the Senate, and now it's working its way through the House. It's made it through all of the committees and is, uh, I believe, is set to hit to go to the House floor for discussion and vote early next week. So this is a really good sign um, that I think this bill is a lot more clear. It's a lot more transparent and it's a lot more accountable. Um, And that's something that uh, I've always felt very strongly about is accountable, not only just to the legislature, but to our public. So. Um, what this is essentially, you guys, you can all go on our website and see the breakdown of this thing. But essentially, uh, most of the licenses are going to go up eight bucks um, for the the multi-day or annual sort of resident hunting and fishing. Single days um, are going to go up by four bucks. Uh, we're going to reinstitute a senior fishing license at eight bucks. All of those kind of things, the application fee, uh, you're going to see go up to ten dollars for for the big game draw. So all of this is really 
uh, our way to secure the programs that we've got in place. And the legislature, going back to the accountability side, and uh, as well as our publics, that talked about, well, where's this money going to go? So recruitment and retention access, like we talked about, uh, where we're going to be looking for our next state park or recreational area to help really uh, leave some of that crowding. Um, it, how we're going to continue to get high quality employees. But, but the biggest piece, Terry, is, is really looking at us, making sure that we're providing quality infrastructure on all of our wildlife areas, hatcheries and state parks. And so we should be hearing something early next week. Now, we're out of time today, and I appreciate, Bob, because you came, well, you and I actually talked about some other issues, and, and you said, let's come on this Saturday and give people an update. I think what we need to do in a few weeks when we know the status of all these bills is maybe come back on and let's let the outdoor public know, you know what we did get, what we didn't get, where we stand, what the future looks like in the near term, and maybe we'll get you in studio and we'll do a really in-depth analysis of is this how much is this funding going to help where you're still short or are you good or is there not enough at all and we'll just kind of cover things is that okay with you that sounds great terry i look forward to it all right bob thank you you're always so open for coming on and transparent i really appreciate it thank you terry all right bob broshide a director of colorado parks and wildlife he's always been willing to come on this show and he hasn't dodged any of the questions and there's some challenges out there folks um they're addressing them hopefully the legislature is going to come through and we're going to see things but as the outdoor recreation in colorado gets stressed and we're going to talk about that with the folks from the forest service and the next about usage and things too so you know we need financing we need access to keep the heritage of the outdoors going terry wicks from outdoors is brought to you in part by sun power sports Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company, Smoke Salmon. The secret is in the fire. I want to go right back to the phones. And um, joining us from the National Forest Service... We have uh, Katie Nelson and Karen Schroyer. Good morning, ladies. Good morning, Terry. Is hey, be- good morning, Terry. Thanks for having us. Oh, you bet. Thanks for coming on. Let me tell you how I want to handle this. I want to kind of, we're going to talk about a particular area that's under Forest Service Management. You know, and I was just talking to Bob Broshide, the Director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And and as important as Parks and Wildlife is to Colorado, there's so many other agencies that both have to partner with Colorado Parks and Wildlife and that also manage other lands in various ways. There's there's you folks with the National Forest Service, there's Fish and Game, there's a Bureau of Land Management, and it really takes a partnership with the amount of public land we have in Colorado, doesn't it? Yeah, you bet, Terry. That's right on. We've got a number of partners that help support us in our mission here on the White River National Forest and the Aspen Cypress Ranger District. Um, CPW is is one of our biggest and and most supportive partners. There's a lot of project work that we wouldn't get done around here without their help. Um, they help us a lot with um, just just funding and getting on projects for prescribed burning that that improve wildlife habitat. And, um, you know, they also give us a lot of input on, on any kind of project we're, we're considering so that we make sure and, and consider the wildlife habitat and the wildlife management when we're doing any project. 
Now, now you also face some of the same challenges they, they do as far as resources and usage and those type of things. We're going to cover a lot of those things today in your area, but let's do this. Let's kind of describe the area that you guys want to talk about today, kind of tell people where it's located in the general layout. We'll just take a couple minutes for that. Then I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to come back and really talk about the usage and the challenges of that area. So go, one of you ladies, tell us, tell us about your area of the state. Great, thank you. Um, The White River National Forest sits along I-70 as you come west of Denver and head towards Grand Junction, and it's uh, 2.3 million acres of incredible national forest. Um, It is the most highly visited national forest in the country. Um, We're pretty proud of that, but because of that, it also comes with a lot of management challenges. Um, It encompasses eight wilderness areas. We've got 12 alpine ski resorts, uh, 10 peaks that are over 14,000 feet in elevation, hundreds of miles of trails and and roads that people can drive on just for for scenic drives. We've got a lot going on here, and, and we focus mainly here on the Aspen and Socrates Ranger districts along the Roaring Fork Valley, and that's where we're managing around 750,000 acres of land here for for recreation as well as a lot of other multiple uses. We like to emphasize that, you know, we're not just a recreation forest here. We are, we're a working forest, and we provide forest products for the local timber mills, we have active mining claims across the forest. Um, we have summer grazing allotments for cattle and sheep that we manage. Um, on this district, we actually have a big natural gas storage field on the sulfur side of the ranger district that that um, provides heating for the Roaring Fork Valley in the winter. And then we've been doing a number of prescribed burn projects to improve the wildlife habitat across the Ranger District as well. So there, there's a lot going on here in in addition to an immense amount of recreation. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. You've, all, yeah, you've got some tremendous recreation. You've got some of the best fishing in the state. Obviously, you talked about the climbing. There's trails. There's multi-use trails. There's just a number... I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want you to kind of go through the recreational opportunities that are there and then some of the management challenges you have in those areas, whether they're because of multi-use or just extra use or maybe areas that could even get some more use that people might not be aware of. Is that okay with you? Sounds good. All right. I'll put you on hold, and we'll come back to you in just, just a bit. And before we go to our official break, I want to bring up one of our favorite sponsors. Although, Ray, I know that we love adventure campers, and you're a great guy, but your daughter is so much better looking on the radio. (laughs) Well, that's very true. Yes, thank you, Terry. I appreciate you (laughs) noticing that. I, I got a feeling she's probably better looking in person, too, but we still like you a lot. There we go. Thanks, yeah. Well, yeah, but the Thanks. point there, too, this is a family organization, and the fact you got tied up, she comes on, she knows your business, she knows the philosophy of your business when she comes. It's throughout your organization because it is a family business. The way you treat people, the way you do business is really ingrained in everything you do there, Ray. 
Yeah, we try that. Uh, you know, my son works uh, here too. He's our parts manager and helps out with customer service. And uh, my right hand man, our service manager, has been with me for over a decade. And so, yeah, we we do try to act like a family and treat people like a family. And we want to take good care of our customers. I'll tell you what. I'll bet you when we come back and talk to those gals from the National Forest Service, they're going to talk about some areas. I bet that people would love to get uh, uh, get a camper from you, whether they rent or buy, and and head up there. It's, the weather is going to start getting nice here, and those are beautiful areas year-round. You got any special deals for those people? Well, yeah, we do. All of our Sonoma travel trailers, that's our, our uh, highest line of travel trailer, the really uh, top-notch ones. We've got a uh, sale on any Sonoma trailer uh, for $1,500 off, all, our already marked down price, so there's good deals there. And we've also got lots of off-road equipment in stock right now, uh, both from Real Light and Viking. We have a number of units with off-road uh, packages on them to give you better clearance off the ground, bigger tires, and you know, always a great thing for Colorado have that. Ray, I'm going to have to let you go, but before I do, we've got an event coming up May 12th. Take about 20 seconds and tell people about that be a fun event. We've got uh, Brad Peterson coming out to do several different fishing clinics, including a kids' fishing clinic. We'll have uh, Colorado State Parks out here doing a number of different presentations. We'll have Hot Quest bringing down their raptors and birds of prey. So it's a fun fun day and uh, great sales that will come up on that day as well. Yeah, so mark your calendars for May 12th. We'll tell you more about what's going on there as we go. But Ray, thank you so much. We will talk to you again next week. All right, Terry, thank you. You bet. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company's Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We are going right back to the phones, where we're joined by uh, two ladies from uh, the National Forest Service. We have Kathy, Ka- Katie Nelson and Karen Schroyer. Good morning again, ladies. Hey, Terry. Um, we went through kind of a little bit of your responsibilities and the area you covered in the White River, the part you cover. Why don't you kind of fill us in on some of the recreational opportunities people would find in your area? You bet. I'll be happy to start out with a little bit, and then I'll turn it over to Katie. Um, we've, you know, the the Aspen Sulphur's Ranger District is is a pretty amazing opportunity in terms of recreation. We have the Maroon Bell Scenic Area, which sees a lot of visitors, upwards of 180,000 visitors a year, um, but is is one of the most photographed and and beautiful scenes in in the uh, state of Colorado. We've also got the gold medal trout fishing opportunities on the Frying Pan River and the Roaring Fork River. Um, Rudai Reservoir is up the Frying Pan, offers some great boating opportunities as well as fishing. And we'll be doing those ANS um, inspections at Rudai Reservoir this summer as well from dawn to dusk. Um, Camping opportunities galore, both dispersed camping up the four-mile area and and a couple of dozen different developed campsites, just great campgrounds that um, most people can reserve campsites through our reservation system at recreation.gov. And that's all available right now for going in and reserving those campgrounds. How, um, um, how far in advance? Now, uh, I want to make sure people understand that the campgrounds you're talking about would be different than the state park campgrounds. How, how far in advance can they book them and give that website again? 
That website is uh, www.recreation.gov, and folks can um, reserve campsites up to a, a year in advance. And, and in some of those campsites, they're going to want to do that because they're extremely popular and they, and they do book up quickly. Now, and you're talking uh, both primitive campsites and driving campsites? Those are all driving campsites that are reservable. Um, your our, our dispersed or primitive campsites where you can just pull off the, the forest road and do your dispersed camping, those don't require a reservation. And, and you know, those are going to be available first come, first serve. And is there a place to find a list of those and a map? Yeah, you bet. Again, um, the recreation.gov website is going to have all those listed. And then we've also got our motor vehicle use maps that are available at any of the ranger districts that um, identify all of the open roads and then um, just open and disperse camping along those roads. You know, what what opportunities you have there for camping? I mean, you really cover the gamut of just about any type of camping somebody would want to do. And I know some of these places, there's some challenges. We're going to talk about that in a while. But it's just truly a beautiful part of the scenery. And you really cover a pretty diverse elevation change, too, don't you? We do. That's a good point. You know, we're, we basically cover anywhere from about 5,000 feet on up to 14,000 feet. So um, that that's a good point and that people need to remember, especially if you're living along the Front Range, that right now it's, it's still somewhat of a winter environment up here on the Aspen Silpress Ranger District. Uh, we just got, you know, six inches up in the Aspen area in the last couple of days. So... Um, call ahead. Call the ranger station ahead of time and, and know what the weather conditions and the road conditions are before you come out. Well, you're absolutely right. But, you know, any time of the year in Colorado. I just reposted, by the way, on my Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, a, uh, a survival article I did with several, from my own experience and several survival experts throughout the country about whether you're going for a day hike or an overnight camping trip, some of the necessities and some of the mistakes people made. If you want to read that, folks, before you head up, it's just good common sense stuff, but there's so many misconceptions up about that. When we're talking day hikes, too, I assume that you have just miles and miles of trail. Or is there a lot of multi-use there is a lot of multi-use. We've got, you know, we've got day hikers. We've got a lot of mountain biking opportunities, and, and they share a lot of those same trails, as well as equestrian horse riding opportunities. Um, we we don't have a lot of motorized use opportunities on the Aspen side of the Ranger District, but on the Silpris side of the Ranger District, we do have plenty of that available as well. So, um, yeah, there's just a lot going on, on out there in addition to, you know, all of that working forest environment that I talked to you about earlier that's also happening. So. Before we get on to some of the other challenges, let's talk about the fishing you have there, though. Um, I, clarify for me, too, you've got the, the, the Roaring Fork and the Frying Pan and Root Eye Reservoir. Now, do you manage those in conjunction with Colorado Parks and Wildlife as far as any stocking or habitat and then who and access is the access controlled mostly by you? That's a great question. You know the um, CPW Colorado Parks and Wildlife manages the wildlife, and then we manage the habitat for the wildlife, and that's why we it's important that we work so closely together as partners. Um, any access issues that come up, we again we we work with Colorado and Parks and Wildlife on that. 
Um, we, I don't think we have a lot of access issues, actually, Terry. I think, um, you know, those great fishing opportunities are, are open to everyone. Um, and, and right now, there's, there's no limited use on any of that. It's, it's a great opportunity for people. You did mention that there will be inspectors on Rudai Reservoir this year. And yep. there's the dawn to dusk. Is there? I, I haven't been there for a long time. Is there just one place to launch? Is it one boat ramp? Yeah, there is just one boat ramp. And um, we'll have inspectors there seven days a week, dawn to dusk. And that that's great because there'll be access. That's a great place. But I'll tell you what, you do have some popular. I did some television shows both along the frying pan and the Roaring Fork. I did both walkway fly fishing and I did some drifts. Uh, on the um, Roaring Fork, and then the frying pan, we did Walk Wade. And then, of course, you run right into the Colorado River and Glenwood Springs. And that's another great point. If people want to come and enjoy your area, they don't have to camp. There's quite a bit of um, hotels and breads, bed and breakfast and other accommodations, commercial accommodations, really very close by, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. There's lodging up and down the whole valley from Glenwood Springs to Aspen. And and they run the gamut in terms of um, expense. So <laughs> there's all kinds of different opportunities that way. Well, you know, another thing you have there is a tremendous wildlife watching opportunity. Um, there's just a myriad of big game from elk to deer. Um, there's mountain lions. There's there's just about every every animal that exists, including a very robust bear population. Is there any precautions or things people need to know before going out there? Yeah, I'm glad you touched on that, and I, I'd like to turn the time over to Katie to kind of to touch on that, um, our human bear, in, um, our human bear issues, and then also talk a little bit more about um, how we're managing those. Yeah, so um, Terry, thanks for bringing that up. So you know what I'll start by saying is we um, do have a healthy uh, black bear population here. And we feel really lucky to have that, that there are some things that are really important just to help keep bears and people safe. And it's really timely. Um, you know, this is the time of year when they're starting to wake up and, and they're hungry. So um, throughout this area, we ask people just as a rule of thumb to be responsible with their food storage. And then to kind of boil that down, it, we do, by law, require people to follow some certain um, precautions to store their food appropriately. So in this kind of front country setting, so thinking about if you're car camping, either at one of our campgrounds or in, on, back on one of those forest roads where we allow that type of camping, we do require you to store your food um, in your car. And when I say that, we want to make sure you have your windows up, have it locked. Bears have no problem peeling your door off um, like it's the top of a sardine can. So it's just noteworthy that that's one ask we make. So you'll want to have it stored in there with the windows up. Um, we've, we've um, over the past few years, we've started to provide bear, bear-proof storage lockers at some of our campgrounds. And so that's a great way where those are available to store your food. And again, just noteworthy that you'll want to make sure to lock it and secure it according to the directions on that box, um, that food storage box. So, so that's what we require in those kind of quote front country areas. There are also approved food storage methods, and I'll talk about that in a second. And, and I'm going to kind of transition into the back country. So as Karen said, we're really fortunate. We have a lot of back country and a lot of designated wilderness here. And, we do in the Maroon Bell Snowmass Wilderness, which is one of our really special areas here, require people to use an approved food storage method. And, and the improving body is the Interagency Grizzly Bear Committee. And these products are vetted with bears 
Um, and oftentimes these are bears that have um, kind of gotten into trouble in areas, and so they're, they're good product testers. But we do require people to use those in the wilderness. Um, you know, what people probably would think of when they picture that is like one of those hard-sided bear canisters. Um, and again, the reason we ask that is simply just to keep the bears and people safe. In years past, we had a lot of um, we just had a lot of issue, and it, it it was just a bad situation again for people and for the bears. And so, we do ask that both in the front country and back country setting here that people be aware of that and and practice those um, techniques. Yeah, and if people want more, um, if you want a little more information on animal animal interaction, I've actually written two separate columns for the Denver Post: one on bears and one on other animals and animal interactions. So you may want to read that. We don't have much time left, and I want to go to another topic you wanted to make sure we covered. And you mentioned in the beginning that these are high-use areas, and they get a lot of people in them. And for the most part, uh, as was brought up earlier, there's no limited access in these areas, and they're beautiful areas to recreate. But there is an area in particular where you're going to have to start limiting the access, isn't there? Yeah, and thanks for bringing it up, Terry. And um, the area to which you're referring is Conundrum Hot Springs. And, um, you know, I, I heard Bob say earlier, we're kind of have this challenge. We, we are obligated and we want to protect these places for future generations. Um, but we also want to, we want to have access. And so it's hard to strike a balance. But um, with Conundrum Hot Springs, it's a really cool, unique treasure. It sits way up at 11,000 feet in the Maroon Bell Snowmass Wilderness. And we had a recognized a challenge for a long time up there. It was basically being loved to death. Um, and so it's hard where we want to protect that and still allow people the opportunity to go there. So starting next week, we are implementing a limited use permit. So we will be limiting use up there, and folks will need to be aware that they'll have to go online to recreation.gov, which we mentioned earlier, online ahead of time and, and get a permit um, before they visit the Conundrum Hot Springs area overnight. And that's not day use, that's just overnight use. That's correct. And um, Terry, thanks for saying that. You know, I, I think it's noteworthy that Conundrum Hot Springs is not an easy place to access. It's, it's hard to get up there in one day. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, people do it, but the, primarily people go for a night or two, and it's eight and a half miles one way. It's about 2,000 feet of elevation gain. There is a creek crossing, which um, it is in wilderness. It can get wild, especially during spring runoff. So, you know, I just want to make sure people understand that it's, it's really not for the faint of heart. It's, it's truly a wild treasure up there. And, and just to be clear, we are starting that requirement next week for the permit, but it is still fully winter up there. So I just want to make sure people are aware that that's not really melted out. There's generally snow until the end of June or early July. Yeah, we are. We are actually out of time real quick. Where would they go to get, apply for that permit? Yeah, thanks. So um, recreation.gov. And I'll just reiterate, that's the only place either online or through their call center that they can obtain permits. We will not be issuing them here at the district. All right. Thank you, ladies. We got to get going. So we'll thank you so much. You have a great area you manage. Hopefully people will get up and take advantage of it. Thank you, Terry. Thanks, Terry. We hope we can chat with you again one of these days. We'd love that. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer.
Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. And joining us on the phone from Sun is Mark Kite. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, Terry. You know, I was thinking, uh, and we talk all the time about the ATVs and the dirt bikes and your power sports, your, your wave runners and things like that on the show. But you also have a Harley dealer, and people might say, well, does that fit into outdoors? How many people, Mark, get on a Harley road trip? and are using campgrounds and heading out. I mean, it's, it's, it's as outdoor as anything else we talk about. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. You know, and there's, there's such a crossover, too, not just the Harley stuff, but you're absolutely right. The Harley guys and a lot of my Harley customers, they've got uh, ATVs and side-by-sides as well, but no question, you know, a lot of these guys take the Harleys out and, and do, you know, trips and overnight trips and, you know, use their bikes, and, and you know, it's just awesome. Riding in Colorado is just, just great. So I understand on the Harley side right now, you've got some pretty special deals coming up. We do. You know, we've got some really cool stuff going on today. Um, today is probably one of the coolest, you know, sales that we've done in a long time. Very cool. So today we've got a push-pull drag sale on the Harley-Davidson side. So it's a guaranteed $2,000 trade for anything you bring in, which is which is great. We've got some really cool stuff coming in already. So, you know, it's a lot of fun. So it just really helps with down payment, you know, and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, makes it, uh, makes it you know, doable to buy, buy a new Harley today. I, I haven't kept up with Harley the way I should. Tell me about some of the exciting news as far as models or what's available. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, all of the models are great. You know, I mean, Harley-Davidson's such a such an awesome brand, you know, and they, they do such a great job with that brand. And, you know, um, but, but you know, Road Glide, Street Glide, uh, all the Ultras, you know, some really cool stuff, all the new S models, you know, with navigation and the stereo systems. And, you know, they're just just beautiful bikes, man. They, they really are. And uh, a lot of the new CVO stuff's here, you know, so we've got all the custom stuff um, as well. So just, just awesome inventory right now. A lot of all, all the new stuff is in stock, so you can come down and check all that out as well. All the trikes, there's just a lot of cool stuff to see. Now, before I let you go, I also want to talk about something else we're running all through this year. In fact, I think, I, are we going to do, runs through September, I believe, we'll probably do the drawing in October, is that right? Or is it, yep, that's right. Yeah, and we're, we're going to, we're putting, we put together uh, a, a, um, a, a contest where two people are going to get to go ice fishing with me. Unfortunately, Nate Zielinski is going to go with us too, but I couldn't do anything about that. I'm sorry. But no, in all honesty, Nate is one of the best ice fishermen in the state of Colorado. And we're going to put a day where we take some people out, whether they're advanced ice fishermen, and we help them with a few nuances, And but I'm sure we'll put them on some fish, or they're beginning ice fishermen, and we teach them about ice fishing. They're going to win a chance to go out, and I believe a couple of you guys from Sun are going to join us. Yeah, we are. You know, Ron and I both are going to be there as well. And, uh, man, you just you hit the nail on the head. It doesn't matter whether you're experienced or not. You know, I don't care whether you're experienced or not. You're going to learn a lot from Nate and yourself. There's no doubt I've been had the opportunity to fish with both you guys many times. And, uh, you know, it's just a pleasure. It's so much fun. I do have to warn people, though, that you and Ron can get a little competitive. We're pretty competitive guys, you know. <laughs> doesn't matter what we're doing, but definitely even on the fishing side of things, you know. So even though the skill set may not be up to – your, you or Nate's level, which it definitely is not, you know, the competitiveness is, is definitely at that level. <laughs> well, I think if we put you in the same shelter, you'd end up cutting each other's line, I think. Yeah, is it'd Probably. Be, yeah. But, boy, do we have fun. 
We have a great time. It's My understanding, too, is the station's going to provide some lunch. We're really going to make a day of it, and we'll actually do the trip in December. Hopefully, we have good enough ice you'll bring a couple of the machines with. We will. We'll definitely be bringing some machines up, some tracked vehicles, uh, you know, for whoever the lucky winners are and, and for all of us to use. That way, we're mobile, and we can get around and get on the fish, and uh, it, it will be a spectacular day. There's no doubt about that. Well, a good way to find out. Now, of course, you can go to my page on the fan website and sign up, but a great way is to go to your Facebook page. You have you have everything about it, and then you have a, a link to the sign-up. How do they find your Facebook page, Mark? Yeah, so if you just search Sun Enterprises on Facebook, it'll come right up. And, uh, yeah, like you said, Terry, you can definitely see all about the trip and all the details about the trip and how to enter. All right. Mark, real quick, what's the sale going on at Harley today? Push, pull, drag, Sun Harley-Davidson Day. It's going to be awesome. All right. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You bet. That's Mark Kite. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer.